Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we share wisdom and practical tips to help you grow stronger in all areas of your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who offer real-world experiences that you can apply to your own journey. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm Meredith Bell, your host, and it's my privilege to bring you special guests who will inspire and challenge you. My podcast is sponsored by Performance Support System, a publisher of software tools and books for improving the way people communicate with each other at work and at home. And my special guest today, I'm so delighted to have with me, is Mary Simon. Mary, welcome to my show. Thank you, Meredith. It's so good to be with you. Well, Mary and I have known each other now for, I guess it's at least five years. It feels like we've been friends for a very long time because she's such a wonderful person. And before we get into our conversation, I want to give you a little bit more formal introduction so my audience really understands what gifts you bring to our conversation today. Mary is a respected, trusted executive coach with 20 years of experience, and she has worked with leaders and teams in more than 17 different industries. She's the author of a book on negotiation strategies. She's certified in brain science and neuroscience, and she's a former faculty member of the Wharton School of Business. Mary is also one of the most generous people I know when it comes to giving positive feedback that's both specific and uplifting. In fact, Mary, I don't know if you know this, but I feel a sense of joy after every conversation we have just because of how positive um, you are. You just feed my spirit. And so I'm so excited to have you feed the spirits of my listeners today and share with us your accumulated wisdom and knowledge about so many things that are important to our lives, both at work and at home. So before we jump into some of the specific questions, tell us just a little bit about your journey to the work that you're doing today with organizations. Well, um, I come by the work pretty honestly. Um, I don't typically share this, but um, I grew up in the diplomatic corps. So my family served as diplomats in uh, Haiti and in Vienna and in um, Baghdad and in uh, Beirut during the global war uh, and London and Montreal and a few other places. So um, if you can imagine that Anyone who works with executives and teams as a child was sitting at a dinner table looking to the right and to the left with a responsibility to conduct meaningful conversation with dignitaries and ambassadors and people from different walks of life who needed to be uh, comfortable in, in the place where they were. And it was my job to do that. Wow, what great training. <laughs> so when I say I come by it honestly, um, you know, it was it was partly that, which was just 
you know, cultural and normal. And then the other part of it was that because of different places where we were in the world, I always had to have a passport on me in the event that something needed to be happening that would put somebody on a plane to leave. <clears throat> and so not only did I learn to appreciate other people and how they looked at the world and how they dealt with problems and issues and challenges, whether in business or government or whatever they were in, but I also had to learn how to negotiate my way through anything, whether getting in a taxi to get to the airport as a little kid with a passport or other kinds of things. So I don't know how many people would relate to those two stories, but it's, it was really the kind of fertile ground from which I learned what it means to be of service. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I know you do a lot with organizations around negotiating skills and just interactions we've had in the past. You, you're so respectful of differences in people. And now I better understand why, because you grew up in such a diverse um, environment. So what an what a interesting gifts you bring to the corporate world with that kind of background and perspective. So that's, that's really something. Well, you know, I really, I appreciate what you're talking about, because um, recently, I had two separate engagements with a client who is with one of the biggest power grids in the world. Mm. And um, this is during the pandemic. And so the executive team, of course, not only had to look at can we keep the power grid safe, from a, a, a security standpoint, but can we actually, during the pandemic, make sure we don't have spread of the virus? Mm-hmm. And so um, as they dealt with the issues of not just leadership, which is a big term, but how do you actually work with employees to support them as you have to create sort of the backup systems Mm -hmm. that allow everybody to get the power that they need every day. Mm -hmm. That must have been quite an an interesting challenge and uh, role for you to play in that whole dynamic. Well, it was. And the part that I was so respectful of is one of the individuals who was a client who I served as an executive coach for that person. And then the executive team uh, had been somebody as a commanding officer in the Middle East in a former part of their career was very familiar with having to deal with emergencies and crisis kinds of situations. But it's different when you take an individual from that kind of environment into a non-military kind of environment. Mm. And when you're working with people from the standpoint of how they're motivated and convincing them to be sequestered in a control center for two weeks and not be with their family or other people in order to provide the security and the safety for the grid for over, you know, almost 70 million people. 
that's a different kind of situation. Mm. And so it was a combination of brain science. It was a combination of um, negotiation and influence and persuasion. And of course, which you're so good at, and you talk about, you know, in the, in the connect with your team book, um, it's how you communicate in a way that reaches all the different people in the different levels that they're at so that they can understand why you're doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that getting buy-in? Wow. Complex situation. Well, you mentioned brain science. Let's talk about uh, brain science and neuroscience. Um, what distinction do you make in using those two terms or is there a difference? Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful question. I think the term neuroscience can kind of derail people uh, when they hear the term and they're not involved day to day in some kind of research or scientific pursuit. I think neuroscience sounds like it's so far off and Mm -hmm. and it's not accessible. Um, And so I use interchangeably neuroscience and brain science, because we all have brains. <laughs> we all have brains. Mm-hmm. And, and the basic um, approach that, that I feel so strongly about when it comes to science of any kind, but particularly brain science, is that you take the scientific part, which is neuroscience, a study of the brain and the systems and the nerves and the interplay, and you make it accessible. So what does it mean for people to say, okay, I have a brain, it might be a little bit like what everybody else around me might have, Mm -hmm. so what? So what, what do I do with that? And if I'm gonna do anything with it, why should I do that? And so that's where I come in. So how do you then, talk to people about how brain science or neuroscience impacts them at work. Yeah. What's the connection you make there to make it real and come alive for them? Well, this is one of the, the great exhilarating, this is why I get up in the morning kinds of things that I um, really appreciate your question for. Because what I do when I come in is I say, well, um, what is, what is a day like for you at work? Um, what happens when you begin the day? How are you thinking about it? Is it, um, do you have energy? Do you have, do you have a positive kind of go get them attitude? Do you have kind of a medium low key attitude or do you have a, oh my gosh, I'm not sure I want to be doing this kind of attitude. Mm. And so that's one thing. And then you go into the interactions. So in every job, basically, if you didn't have problems to solve, there wouldn't be a job. So given that there are problems that have to be solved, (laughs) there are going to be people who have different approaches and different attitudes about how to do that. So there has to be an ability for anyone in a role in a company or in an organization to be able to navigate differences. And so that's where it gets really interesting because it becomes like a journey and and an adventure because in that work that people do every day, there are gonna be things called triggers. 
-hmm. people are going to use words or they might be frustrated and they might be a little bit um, less patient in communicating. And that triggers people. That makes people feel like somehow they're not quite safe. And so what I work at with people is to start from, there are basically two things that happen in the brain that make it good or make it not quite so good. And one is where you feel a little threatened or you feel triggered. Um, and then you get a little bit fearful. And then you're not thinking with your whole brain. You're wanting to do something other than think with your whole brain. And the other is where you're connected. And when you're connected to the other person and you're communicating openly, then you have a chance of being a little bit more trusting and you have a different quality of communication that happens in the exchange. So let's talk a little bit about triggers. Uh, do you, when you work with people, are they even aware of what triggers them or do they need you to point out how their reaction shows that some particular person or thing or event is a trigger for them? Yeah, that <clears throat> perfect question. And, you know, that probably has been the biggest surprise that I've had. Um, I have found that a lot of people who are at different levels of responsibility often don't know when they're triggered un until they already are triggered <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're mm -hmm. reacting. So what, you know, it, an example, um, not too long ago, now, a client was talking about having to lead a significantly kind of important decision-making meeting. And there were a lot of people around the Zoom room because it's all virtual. And they were kind of lobbying questions. So we're putting questions into the mix, but they weren't doing it in a way that was kind of easy for the meeting leader, my client, to manage. So they got triggered. And what they realized is that they had to back up and they had to probably think about closing the meeting earlier than what it would have otherwise been. It was a shorter meeting than it would have been. And when we worked together afterwards, um, I asked them to, you know, first take a deep breath. And if they could recount, they could replay like a movie that you might be able to replay when did they first recognize that they might have had a reaction or a trigger? And then where did it show up? How did it show up? So for some people, it might be in their shoulders, it might be in their neck. It might be that they begin to have a facial tightening so that they look stern or angry. Mm. Um, it might be in the chest. Uh, it might be in the gut. And that's the first step to understanding a trigger, because we have this nerve that goes from our the top of our head through our body. And it typically is the nerve that tells us whether we need to tighten up or we can be open. Mm. And, and it is a really helpful thing to know where you typically become tense when you're 
having a reaction to what somebody is talking about. And it's practicing. So what I ask that individual to do um, in the face of a trigger where, for example, a meeting is not going as well as it needs to, that they have their hand or their hands under the table and they tighten up their hand to kind of focus where the tension might be going Mm. and they release. So they're controlling it rather than it controlling them. And they take a deep breath and then they begin to speak afterwards. So it can be done in two seconds. It can be done in 10 seconds, but it takes awareness of how somebody might be actually tightening up. Hmm. So there's the physical reaction in some part of the body. That's right. But um, so that takes a certain level of awareness just to become aware. Oh, man, I'm feeling this tightening in my chest or my gut is, you know, to even notice that. But I want to go back to, you know, so people are really clear on what exactly does a trigger look like? And I know it can be obviously a lot of different things. But give an example. In that case, it sounds like this lack of ability to control or or figure out how to keep on top of those things started feeling overwhelming to this person. Well, they 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 felt overwhelmed. They also felt a little bit threatened because the meeting was supposed to be a meeting in which the CEO would feel very confident in the plan that was being discussed. Mm. And because of the nature of the ways in which people were kind of just spontaneously interjecting different comments and questions, that wasn't happening. And so the individual who was my client ended up recognizing that they needed to go back to those individuals after that meeting and say, put your questions together ahead of time and give them to me. I want to know what they are, but don't do it in the meeting where the CEO is going to feel like we don't have a plan that's worth having confidence in. Mm. Boy, that is such an important point. This idea of we're triggered when we feel threatened. Right. And it's this whole thing of saving face, right? When we're afraid we're going to look bad, especially if it's the boss and the top boss at that, what impact that? So there's all these thoughts and feelings racing around in our heads, which makes it very difficult to think clearly. And I know there's a process in neuroscience that explains all of that. And I would love for you to share that. What's going on in the brain when we're switching and, and concluding and, and feeling all this fear and, and threat, threat that's happening? Well, this is when it gets um, really interesting. Because when that, and this is a perfect question, um, Meredith, thank you. When there is a feeling of discomfort and tightening or trigger, in 0.07 seconds, there is an activation of a hormone from the primitive brain, which is at the um, base of the skull, called cortisol that can be um, kind of running wild. And 0.07 seconds is fast. 
And if it's, it, <laughs> it's I can't really, even conceive of that fast. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like really, really fast. And if it is a major event, so another another vignette or another example is like if somebody's driving and, and they're cut off by another driver and there isn't a turn signal and there's a lot of traffic. And so you begin to feel like, oh my gosh, I might be in danger. Um, that's significant. And what happens is the amount of cortisol that gets pulsed, activated and pulsed into the body lasts for 26 hours. Mm. And so it deserves a bit of respect because what's happening is actually not bad. It just isn't happening in the right way in the right circumstance. So what I mean by that is people um, are wired, the brain is wired for certainty, predictability and certainty and safety. The catch is, there's no distinction between what safety might look like. So regardless of the kinds of events, there can be similar strong reactions, even though they might not be warranted. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you brought up the point about awareness, and that really is the magic key here. Because if you're aware that you're probably going to have one of those really quick reactions with a lot of cortisol, you're going to feel it, you're going to recognize what's happening. And then you can begin to take a deep breath, or you can begin to redirect some of your thoughts, you can if you're, you know, on the road, you can can drive to the side of the road, maybe to kind of take a breather. Um, And what you also want to do when you're triggered, when you have that kind of immediate reaction that takes over you get flooded with it, you can begin to, um, if you have anyone with you who you trust, could be in a meeting or if you're driving and you have somebody in the car, you connect with them. And that gets the other mitigating kind of brain activity and hormone going, and that is oxytocin. It takes longer to activate oxytocin and it dissipates more quickly. So you have to amp up and and really develop Um, the muscles around that. Interesting. Well, as you were talking, I was thinking, well, what is it that you can help people do? It seems like trigger prevention would be a good thing to learn so that you don't have this release of cortisol. What do you, I mean, it's appropriate at certain times, but you don't want this constant influx of it. As you said, it stays around in the body so long. So what are some strategies or tips that you could share that you use with clients to help them prevent, you know, take a proactive approach to prevent being triggered in the first place? Right, right, exactly. Well, you know, just like um, when you want to, get fit, when you want to be healthy, and you want to make sure that you're paying attention to your physical well being and your physical health and um, fitness, you make sure that you walk or you run or you lift weights, or you go on the treadmill, or you do different things, and you do it in repetition. Mm -hmm. And that repetition builds up muscle, 
And over time, if you do more of the repetition and you cut back on some of the foods that maybe aren't going to help you so much, then you get more fit. And I'm oversimplifying that part, but it is akin to what you do with a brain. So there is um, neuroscience or brain science that has verified that if you begin each morning with a series of repetitions for how you want to set the standard for your day and maybe the intention for your day and the kind of mindset, then you begin to build up that alternative way of approaching whatever might come at you. Mm -hmm. And it is not only in the morning, but every time you take a break. So neuroscience says, you know, every hour, hour and a half, take five minutes for a break, get off of the computer, get away from all the screens. Don't look at your phone. If you can, you look outside, you look at nature, or you, you redirect your attention. And during that time, you do what you did in the morning. And you can call it a brief meditation, but what you're doing is actually training the brain to calm down. So we have what are called neural pathways. And those are the things that kick in really fast when we're threatened and we feel fearful. Mm -hmm. So when you are training the brain, you're actually making it more expansive so that there can be a choice that's made more readily for something that is more calming rather than more triggering. Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense. It's that practice, practice, practice. So what you're practicing becomes the automatic response and the other one basically gets weakened, right? That's right. The more you practice the one, the more the other weakens. And so the one you've been practicing becomes the default. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. I would love for you to give an example of a client where you've helped that person think of it as like before, during, after Mm -hmm. what were they, what were they triggered by before and how did they react? What did they do to work on that? And then what kind of behavior were they able to have afterwards? Yeah. Because of having done that practice. Yeah. Well, um, that's a wonderful way to talk about it. And there was a client not too long ago who was um, kind of on a, on a journey. They had been on a trajectory where they had been promoted a few times and they were a little bit, um, they had been a techn- in a technical field or a technical part of a company and they were constantly made aware that they needed to be more strategic. And they didn't, whereas when they were technical, (laughs) they knew how to measure their performance. Uh You know, this bit in that period of time, and it happened like this, and everybody knows what the metrics are and how that is translated into success. Well, as they were promoted, and they were looking at the discomfort of growing into a new kind of mindset, Uh they we're working on, well, how, not only how do I think that way, how do I demonstrate it 
to peers and to superiors in a way that they're going to understand because these are people who they worked with for a long time. Mm -hmm. So it was going to need to be different. Behavior would need to be different. So they um, actually, in the work we did together, came up with a roadmap, a development roadmap. And they had three things they wanted to work on. And one was the way they communicated, the words that they used. And, you know, I, I would venture to say that in the Connect With Your Team book, you, you touch on some of that. Um, another one was how they talked with their boss about what they were working on. So to be transparent and to actually enlist the mm. into looking mm-hmm. for new opportunities and then also to look at how they could begin to be more comfortable and natural in new situations so what happened with that was you know the the first part they had all the skills that they were going to work on that was clear the roadmap was really clear the second part where they were talking about you know how do i think about it and talk about it transparently with my boss, that was happening and they were getting new opportunities. And because of those two things, they began to take calculated risks. So an opportunity that actually didn't look like an opportunity crept up in which there was a meeting with a number of attorneys. And this person was not an attorney. Remember, they were in the technical arena. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And they said, you know what? I think I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to go in. And I, because I'm familiar with this issue that all the attorneys are talking about in this meeting that's happening at this particular time, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to represent the organization together with our other person. They did. And because of their newfound confidence and the faith that they had and the confidence that they were getting from other people, their boss and others, they actually used a little bit of appropriate humor and they lessen some of the tension and mm. some of the potential antagonism that was going to happen. And the meeting came out absolutely successfully. And so it wasn't a direct science. It was a combination of the art of choosing to change, the science of having a roadmap, and talking with people who were superiors, mm. and then taking calculated risks, nothing big, but calculated risks. And then at the end, they were actually able to measure how they had selected the right kinds of things that were in fact strategic for the organization to point to with other people who maybe didn't quite know how to think of them in a new way. That's so great because it, well, it just goes to show our brains are so, um, flexible, that we don't have to ever use the excuse, that's just the way I am. You know, I'm a more technical person, or I'm more strategic, or I don't like details. It's really what we give our attention to, and, and choose to develop, so that we get into, you know, more of a comfort zone. The other thing I was thinking about, as I've been listening to you, is this idea that we're triggered often by these thoughts, right, that come into our minds almost unbidden. But I have to think a lot of our triggers go back to our childhood, something that was said or done 
I mean, I had that happen to me recently. Somebody said something to me and it was reminiscent of something I heard as a kid. And I immediately thought, oh, I felt guilty, right? Because it just triggered that memory of as a child being told the same thing, even though I don't see myself that way today. But it caused me to think, gosh, am I still like that? Well, no, I'm not. But it's amazing how prior experiences can influence how we, what we're triggered by and how we react or respond to them. Right. And I, I really appreciate what you're talking about. And a couple of words that come to mind, and they might sound fancy and they don't need to be fancy, but neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. And one of the most amazing um, findings in brain science or neuroscience is that we, in fact, when we learn, create a new brain. And it's called neuroplasticity because what we're in fact doing is molding and shifting patterns in our brains as we learn. The other piece that goes along with that is our brains are wired for stories. Mm, good. So important point. Yeah. And the way that you talk about something that triggered you that was reminiscent of something you'd heard as a child. Well, that's a story that runs in your head in this part of your brain where stories are alive and they are quick to come into the surface. And so again, like just at the beginning of our conversation, we were talking about the power of awareness. And when you're aware of the story, and it doesn't just have to be words, it can be images. I mean, there are probably people that popped up in your memory. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and you're thinking, wait a minute, that was then, this is now, I'm feeling the way I'm feeling, but it's from then, it's not now, where in the heck do I go? And so with the beauty of understanding the power of how the brain has stories land in it, and it actually lands in our bodies as well. It lives mm-hmm. in our bodies um, because the brain is not just the head. It's it because of the nervous system, it goes throughout your body. Um, and also that you can rewire and you can, you can begin to incrementally change the direction of attention that you take. Therefore it can become less triggering. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's powerful and important for all of us to think about, you know, what are the things that do trigger us and what's behind that? What thought am I having? Because I used to think it was feelings, you know, I've got these feelings, but really it's the thought that trigger the feelings. And so getting in touch with examination of thoughts and not accepting thoughts as being facts or true. Right. Just things. And somebody mentioned, you know, looking at them sort of as clouds that go by that you don't have to believe. You don't have to try to grasp that. And so thinking about your work with clients where they're struggling because they are really, I don't want to say the word stuck, but they could be stuck. They could just be in this pattern that's so entrenched that they don't see how they can change, how they can remove something that's been a trigger for many, many years. What do, what are some of the things you do to help them move 
away from a specific thing or person as a trigger? Well, this is another um, actually somewhat easy way. Oh, to- my <laughs> listeners will be delighted to hear that. <laughs> so um, before I give it to you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tee it up with the fact that um, words create worlds. Words create worlds. And we each live in our own world. So when you think about how you might use a particular phrase and how somebody who you're communicating with might use the very same phrase, but it might mean something very different Mm -hmm. because it conjures up maybe a different context or memory or emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. And so you, you, we always assume we're connecting because we're using words that we think we share in common and we don't really have the right to trust that we need to check it. Mm. So that's the beginning of the comment. The easy part is that when this kind of thing happens, um, you can reframe and redirect and refocus. So if something occurs that is a block and or a point of contention or a disagreement, it could even be just within your own thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and how you're interpreting. Um, and of course, it happens most readily with another person and then it becomes pretty uncomfortable and it shows on our face and everywhere else. Um, to reframe is to say, okay, this is how I'm thinking about it. And what are some other options? Mm. How might they be reacting? Where if I wasn't thinking about it quite this way, what are my alternatives? Mm -hmm. So to begin to redirect the attention away from the trigger. Mm -hmm. Come up with either a little bit of different phrasing or a different way to characterize it, different contexts. And then to begin to redirect. And the other easy thing is to begin asking questions that you have no answers for. So you get curious. And curiosity is a magic key. Oh, that's great. So talk more about that um, before we wrap up. I want to hear how does curiosity play a role here in, in helping you move away from things that have triggered you? Yeah, um, and this is where I think a lot of people will relate very quickly. Carol Dweck at Stanford has talked a lot about mindset and mm-hmm. that she made the distinction early on between a fixed mindset where you think you know what's going on and you might be addicted to that way of understanding what's going on and you might proceed rather quickly and repeatedly in that direction of thinking that you're right. And then there's the other where you have a growth mindset and where you begin to question, what is it that might be happening that I don't know about, or I think I do, but I might not be right. Mm -hmm. So to create that pause and what curiosity does is it opens the way for a growth mindset. And it opens a way for um, putting any judgment and judgment often comes from fear. Um, 
putting it over to the side so that you can begin to be open and you can entertain more of your brain. You can be able to interpret, first take in and then interpret. So if you think about a camera, old fashioned camera, you know, with a lens that you would adjust. And, you know, I know, for example, in the world of birding, there are many, many people who have these cameras with these lenses that are really, really <laughs> amazing. <laughs> well, you, you have the ability to adjust the lens so that you can actually either see less of and you focus in on a very specific small area or you open it up so that you have more of the view that mm. is included in the, in the photograph. Well, curiosity gives you more of the photograph. That is really a writer downer for people <laughs> who are listening. Uh, you know, curiosity is a word. I didn't use that often before. I think I've had a growth mindset for a long time, but the word curiosity wasn't necessarily a part of that. But I've seen the power in doing exactly what you said. And when you are asking the questions, you're kind of loosening that grip you had on your previous opinions, positions, because you're willing to entertain, play with other ideas that then open up possibilities. Plus, it's true, you can't focus on more than one thing at a time, right? So right. if you're asking questions and you're curious, you can't be anxious about what's going on over here because your mind is in a different place. And I think that's what you've been saying a couple of different times in our conversation. Yeah, yeah, that is correct. And the other, the other part that I'd like to add to it, because I think people might get a little bit concerned that if you're open to other ideas and you begin to ask questions for which you don't have answers and you're curious, that you might somehow be less loyal to your own opinions or your own way of looking at life. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. You can have um, curiosity so that you're learning. And then as you put all the information together in a little bit of a new way, you can figure out what do I agree with or what don't I, but mm. you don't do that until you've taken in the new information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's gold there, Mary. <laughs> I knew that you would offer up so many important insights and you delivered. Thank you for Thank all, you for because you. one of the things that I think will be a result of this is just people willing to slow down and listen and kind of pay attention to, you know, where do I lash out quickly that I normally wouldn't? Where do I turn to eat something, you know, when I normally wouldn't, but somebody said or did something that was really upsetting. So there are just so many layers to this that can be explored. So because we have to wrap up though, I do want you to share where people can connect with you and learn more about your services because there's so much more depth that we haven't had a chance to really get into today. Well, Meredith, thank you. You're a wonderful interviewer. You, you're the quality of your listening and the quality of your questions just 
perfect. So thank you very much. Um, my website at www.marybsimon.com. Um, and one of the things that uh, I have kept a little bit under the radar, but is um, because we're talking about this and, and it deserves to be a little bit above the radar right now. Um, I have uh, worked with key individuals who are ready to begin to work in this way, to improve the way that they're operating in an organization, in their role and a team, whatever it might be. Um, and it'll be in 30 minute sprints for 30 days. Mm. So they, they identify, often it's a you know, person who is ready and really dedicated, <laughs> um, but uh, they identify an area where they're getting stuck, they're getting caught, repeatedly caught, and it is impacting their work and their mm. performance and, and is really somewhat damaging to their career and, and their professional life, uh, and or it could be beyond that even, but it is not therapy, it is specifically coaching around the tough talks. And mm. so in 30 minutes, and going through a 30 day sprint, they can do a turnaround by exercising what we're talking about. So that's a program you're offering right now. And right. they can learn about that at your website. They can learn about it by reaching out to me okay. um, in my at, at Mary at MaryBSimon.com. Okay. Um, and uh, it's a it's a selective few openings every month for a few people who are, you know, ready to do the sprint. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you for extending that invitation. And I bet you'll have some folks that take you up on that. I appreciate so much your being with me today, Mary. And you know, I just love your spirit and your wisdom. And thank you for sharing that with my listeners today. Thank you, Meredith. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com slash free and grab our ebook, Listen Like a Pro. You'll find out how to connect on a deeper level with the people who matter to you. And while you're there, check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.